He was falsely accused before Pilate. And uh, he was rejected by the crowd in favor of who? Who was he rejected by the crowd in favor of? Right, a, a notorious lawbreaker named Barabbas. At that point, Pilate released Barabbas and Jesus was flogged. And uh, he turned him over to the soldiers to be crucified. So let's consider the first question that you have in your study guide on page 49, question 1. What does it say? Why do we care when famous people pass away? Why do we? When we hear the passing of a famous person, why do we care? Hmm? Anybody? Why do we care when famous people pass away? Because we have a, basically a, a mental attitude towards that person. That they think that person is a famous person and they'll do great things. Okay. For that person, Hmm? The person is good to them. Help them. Okay. The goodness of the person. Yes. Okay, that the goodness that that person did will be missed. Yes. Okay. And then the person had influence. Uh, they impacted the lives of many other people, and so there is uh, a concern when good people pass away. And it continues to linger in the hearts of individuals who have been blessed by that person's li lifestyle, the things that they have accomplished, and how many people they have impacted in a positive way, uh, less than in a negative way. We, we are concerned more if the person has had a positive impact on many people. And so we are concerned, and we say, boy, there will probably never be another person like him or her. Okay, we hear expressions like that. Uh, and other expressions that we, or people would say, gone too soon. Somebody wrote a song about that. Um, but we do have a key and a concern when famous people pass away. Notice uh, the point at the top of page 50. What does it say? Jesus' death is what? The heart of the gospel. If Jesus had not died, then the gospel in itself, and in its entirely, would have not have been completed. Okay, let's look at the uh, Bible meets life on page 50. Can we have someone read that, please? Would you give your blood to help save your sister? The doctor asked Timothy, looking into the young boy's eyes. Timothy's sister was suffering from an illness he had survived, and because they shared a rare blood type, Timothy was the ideal donor. The boy hesitated after the doctor's question. His chin began to quiver as he poured back tears. No, that's, that's then, with a solemn uh, strength and even the hint no, of a, a smile, he said... Do we have any extras? He said, yes, I'll do it. An hour later, Timothy watched the blood flow out of his arm and into a plastic tube. Quiet for most of the procedure, he finally asked, Doctor, when will I die? The boy thought donating his blood meant giving all his blood. Timothy had willingly offered the greatest sacrifice out of his love for his sister. Out of love for his sister. Let's explore death like no other. The day when Jesus, the one for whom all things were created, willingly gave himself up out of his great love for us. Okay. 
Let's look then at the passage and see what the Bible has to say about Jesus' death. We can have someone else read verses 28 to 31 of Matthew 27. That would be on, you should have it on page 51 of your personal guide. So you can read it right from the personal guide. They stripped him and dressed him in scalping and terribly. They twisted him together, crowned him, put him on his head, and placed the weed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews. Then they spit on him, took the weed, and kept hitting him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe. Okay, when you look at verse 28, it says they stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet military robe. It was a custom for the prisoners of that day, those persons who were subject to Roman uh, uh, execution and, and, and punishment, uh, to be stripped. The soldiers knew that, knew the Jews uh, charged Jesus with claiming to be their king. And they weren't concerned about that. Uh, they wanted to satisfy the Jews so that they would not lose uh, favor with the Jews, as it were, or the religious leaders. And so they determined to make a mockery of him. In mocking Jesus, they would also have been mocking the Jewish people over whom Jesus was supposedly king over whom Rome, the Roman Empire ruled. And so the verse says, they stripped him of his clothes, which had probably been put back on him after he was flogged. And they dressed him in a scarlet robe to, as a mockery, and the color scarlet was similar to purple. And this color was associated with the royalty of rulership. And so the color of the robe attributed to the mocking aspect that they were engaging in. They could have used any color robe, but they wanted to mock him because the Jews said that he was the king of the Jews. And so they wanted to mock him as a king. Um, verse 29, the soldiers decided to add a crown to Jesus' royal regalia. They gave him a reed, which was a sort of a bamboo cane, uh, to hold in his right hand. It was a poor substitute of a royal scepter representing the ruler's power and authority. But the ultimate mockery came when they knelt down before him in false homage, and they shouted, Hail, King of the Jews! This may have been a parody of the formal salute offered to a Roman Empire. This is something that they would do to a, a real reigning Roman Empire. And so they did it to Jesus. Uh, this carefully planned ridicule uh, must have intensified the suffering that Jesus was going through. But then how ironic that the soldiers' words of mockery regarding Jesus' kingship were absolutely true. Unknowingly, they knelt before 
the king of all kings. Now while they were mocking, mocking him, he truly was the king of kings and the sovereign ruler of the universe. Of course, they didn't realize that, and they would not realize that until much, much later on. And in verse 30, we see uh, the people spat on him. And this is the first set of people, the first set of people to, to spit in Jesus' face had been the Jews who were present at his trial. So this is the second occasion where people are spitting on the Savior. The first time was when he was before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin uh, in verses uh, 67 and 68 of Matthew chapter 26. We see it says, Then they began to spit on Jesus in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists. So we have another element here. Not only did they spit on him, but they beat him. Or in other words, they punched him uh, with their fists. Matthew 26, verses 67 and 68. And some slapped him, the verse says. Verse 68 says, jeering. They made a mockery of him. He says, they said, prophesy to us, you Messiah, who hit you that time? And so we see the mockery didn't just begin here uh, in the passage that we have before us, but it began in the previous passage in Matthew chapter 26. So this was the second time that they spit him. Now the soldiers repeated the hideous insult. Spitting on someone was one of the worst possible expressions of contempt available at the time that Jesus lived. The worst thing that you could do to a person in Jesus' day was to spit on them. And that's what they did to Jesus. The mocking soldiers added insult to injury by hitting him on the head with the reed that they had presented to him as a royal scepter. Now remember now, he had already had this crown of thorns on the head, so imagine what happened when they hit him on the head with that reed. What happened? Those thorns were about three inches, but two and a half inches thick, long. And uh, when they were to beat him on his head with that reed, it would drive those thorns even deeper into his skull. So it was a painful, awful experience that he was going through. Every blow from the reed drove the thorns deeper and deeper into his head. Now these actions uh, also partly fulfilled Jesus' own prophecy of what he would go through in terms of suffering. In chapter 20 and verse 19, we read, Then they will hand him over to, to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. And then the verse tells us that, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. So Jesus prophesied these very experiences that he was going through himself. And these words in, words in, in verse 20, in chapter 20, verse 19, are Jesus' own words. He was speaking to his disciples. And he says, this is what will happen to the Son of Man. They will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. And so here in this passage, we see that happening. And then Jesus' experiences also fulfilled uh, the prophecy concerning the suffering servant that we see, uh, that we read in Isaiah chapter 56, where Jesus said, I offered my back to those who beat me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. That's in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6. 50 verse 6. Mm-hmm. You make a note of that. Isaiah 50 verse 6. And again, Jesus' words about what will happen to him, what will transpire in terms of his suffering. 
And then in verse 31, we know that when the soldiers grew weary of their evil games, they removed the mock robe. They got tired of what they were doing to him and the punishment and all that they were afflicting him. They got tired and they put his own clothes back on him and they led him away to be crucified. They had satisfied their desire to treat Jesus with complete contempt. You know, they, they were tired of this. This was getting old now. You know, let's do something else. It's probably their thought. Now they plan to finish the gruesome task execution by execution or crucifixion on a cross. The worst possible type of crucifixion that was ever conceived in the mind of man is what these men were about to do. The usual practice was for the criminal to be taken to the place of their crucifixion completely naked. That was the usual practice. But in Jesus' case, they made an exception. In returning Jesus' clothes, the Romans may have been making a concession to the Jewish sensitivities. In other words, the, Jew, the religious leaders of the day. Okay, remember, the religious leaders were the ones who were conniving and, 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 and scheming behind the scenes for these things to happen to Jesus. They were the ones who said he called himself king of the Jews, and the Jews were trying to pacify the religious leaders. And so as a mark of, okay, we did this for you, now you do something for us, is what, what they did in allowing Jesus to, be, to, to remain partially clothed rather than to be completely naked. But the normal practice of the day was that these persons would be completely naked. They would completely be exposed to the public in all their nakedness. And then the crowds would, it would be a carnival-type atmosphere. But again, they made concessions because of the sensitivities of the Jews uh, and the crowds that were present in Jerusalem at that time for the Feast of the Passover. Remember that there was a lot of, there were a lot of visitors in town during that time for the Passover, so they were making some concessions. But let's look at the question on page two. What do these verses teach us about Jesus? What do these verses that we just read teach us about Jesus? What can be inferred by Jesus' actions? His humility. Okay, and that's the main thing. He is humble and he is strong. That's one of the things that, that stand out uh, in the midst of all the mockery. He was willing to endure humiliation on whose behalf? On our behalf. Okay, he was doing all of that for us. He was enduring all of that for us. He remained humble. Uh, let's have someone read the uh, paragraphs on page 52. Someone read the first four paragraphs on page 52. Nobody likes police. There you go. They push you, shout you, mock you. It's bad enough to be bullied by people you don't really know. Stuck a crown of thorns on his head 
now down for him in the mountain. And then Mongri, they stuck a reed in his right hand, as if it were the king's sandal. Then they spy on him. They took that same reed and beat him with it. As I read these, this passage, I keep getting stuck on the word reed, which was a slender stick or stern. Slender stick or stem. This isn't the first time we see a reed in the, in the Bible. Isaiah wrote about another reed. But it was a bruised reed, something weak and vulnerable. Not one used to mock or strike. He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not pull out, pull out a smoldering bit. He will faithfully bring justice. Rose read is Isaiah 42 3. In Isaiah 43 stands for those of us who have been hurt, bullied, broken, bent. The words speak of God's faithfulness to those who've been harassed by life's circumstances, or by people who be loved and trusted or trusted, a faithful mate, a toxic parent or relative, a backstabbing, out of Co-worker. Backstabbing co-worker. Anybody know them? You know, you have somebody on the job who's always backstabbing you. No matter how good you try to do your job. Okay, now notice uh, the, the, the last paragraphs on, on that, that same page. How ironic that the one who came to bring justice to the bruised reeds in this life was bruised himself by a reed. He who, would, he who would cup the wilted reed in his hand and nurture it back to health and strength stood blooded, beaten, and mocked by those he came to save. And yet, he said, absolutely nothing in return. The soldiers led him as a sheep to the slaughter. Even though he was the true king on the cross, Jesus was bullied, but bullies didn't put him on the cross, and nails didn't hold him there. His love for us held him there on the cross. And there's a song that someone wrote that says, while he was on the cross, we were on his mind. Absolutely true. Jesus willingly sacrificed. And the key word there is willingly. He wasn't forced or cajoled. He willingly sacrificed his life so that we, you and I, could be saved. And verses 45 to 50 offer a sense of what Jesus actually experienced on that cross. So let's have someone read those verses. Verses 45 to 50. When I experience an allergic reaction, my eyes water... No, that's the passage, the verses. Oh, which one? Verses 45 to 50. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lamo Sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge filled with, with salt 
best wine, fixed it on a reed, and offered him a drink. But the rest said, Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Jesus shouted again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. When the centurion Okay, you can stop right there. Jesus shouted with a loud voice. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all note that darkness had covered the land. All three of those Gospels noted that darkness covered the land for a period of time. Uh, various explanations for the darkness have been offered by many Bible scholars, including a violent windstorm. Some say it was a violent windstorm that caused the darkness. Some said it was a, a solar eclipse. Uh, that caused the darkness. Another said that God's supernatural intervention took place. But then we know as we read through the passages of the scripture that darkness is often associated with God's judgment. Uh, the day of God's great judgment. In Joel chapter 2, Old Testament passage of Joel chapter 2, it says, it is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of thick clouds and deep blackness. Suddenly, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a great and mighty army appears. Nothing like it has been seen before or will ever be seen again. And down in verse 31 of Joel, same chapter, chapter 2, we read, The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. And so we see that many times we find in Scripture that darkness or blackness is often associated with God's judgment or the day of the Lord, as the scripture often uh, coins it, or phrases it. And then in verse 46, we see Jesus making a cry. What does he say? Yes. Stunning cry on the cross. And Matthew preserved those precise words. He could have coined it different way, he could have rephrased it, but Matthew uses the precise words that Jesus, the precise language Jesus used. Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani. And it was Aramaic, the language of everyday conversation. Why? Because he wanted everybody there to understand what he was saying. It was the language of the first century Israel. And the words are from the first, uh, first verse in Psalm 22. What does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan or I cry out for help? That's Psalm 22, verse 1. And then in verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 22, uh, the psalm reflect the mocking of the crowd that we, say, that we see in Matthew, uh, chapter 27. Uh, verse 7 of Psalm 22 says, everyone sees me and mocks me. They sneer and shake their hands, saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. That's Psalm 22, verse 7 and 8. And we see similar words in Matthew chapter 27, uh, verses 39 uh, to 44. It says the peace of people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their hands in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. 
the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked him. Verse 42, he saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. Verse 43 says, he trusted God to let God rescue him. Now if he wants him, that is if God won't have anything to do with him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him on the cross in the same way. And so even those who were hanging on the cross with him mocked and ridiculed him just like the crowds on the ground were doing. And then in verse 18 of Psalm 22, we see another um, indication of what we just read. They divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. In Matthew chapter 27, we see another parallel. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. So Psalm 22, Matthew 27, saying the same thing. This fulfilled the word of the prophet. They divided my garments among themselves and cast lots for my robe. And so verse, verse 18 of Psalm 22 reflects the soldiers casting lots for Jesus' clothing. <laughs> and then in verse 47 of the passage, we note the term for God, Eli. Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani is a term that is used. And it was very close to the name Elijah. And so some of the people on the ground, they, they heard that and they thought that he was calling for Elijah. Doesn't Eli sound something close to Elijah? So they thought he was calling for Elijah. Uh, since the messianic exp ex expectation was so fervent at that time, someone in the crowd perhaps mistakenly thought that Jesus was calling for Elijah. They'd known all about Elijah, the forerunner who would appear before the day of the Lord to save him. And so the phrase of some of those standing there refers to the Jews in the crowd around the cross, not to the Roman soldiers. That phrase, let, you know, let, let, him, let's, let Elijah come and save him. Those were people on the ground. Those words didn't come from the soldiers. Because those are the, some, some things that the people had heard. And, and this was likely an act of mockery. Uh, that was one way of mocking him. Uh, something taken half seriously by those present. And then we, talk, we see the, the, the mention of sour wine in verses 48 and 49. Uh, it was a popular, inexpensive beverage of the day, normally consumed by soldiers and members of the lower social classes of society. And uh, that's something like, like common beer is today. And it's also, it also had the benefit of being more effective in relieving thirst better than water could. And that's why they used it more than water. Of course, the water at that time wasn't good anyway. And, and so Jesus was offered this, but he refused it. Uh, the drink was often also offered typically to victims of crucifixion. And, uh, and this may be the reason why the soldiers offered it to him. Uh, it was at, least, at least it was one way of kind of showing some kind of compassion uh, uh, for those who were being crucified. But Jesus refused it. Uh, verse 50, Matthew records two times when Jesus spoke from the cross with a loud voice. The first was when he spoke the words about God forsaking him in verse 46. 
The second here, when he shouted again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. What does it mean he gave up his spirit? He died. He died. He was dead. You know, some people say, well, you know, Jesus didn't really die. He just locked into a coma. And they made a mistake and thought he was dead. But he was dead. Jesus was as dead. See these roses? These used to be some nice red roses. Look at them now. What do you think happened to them? They died. These are dead. There's not an ounce of life left in these roses. These roses. They're dead. Jesus was just as dead as these roses are. Not an ounce of life. You can put all kind of water in that. And wait, it'll never come back to life. They're dead. Jesus was dead. There's no doubt about it. It says he gave up his spirit. His spirit left him. It was gone. He was dead. And uh, the Bible wants us to make it, wants us to make it, understand quite clearly that Jesus stopped breathing. Uh, the phrase translated gave up his spirit indicates that Jesus stopped breathing. What happens when the person stops breathing? Yeah. They're dead, right? They're dead. And it may also underscore Jesus' final authority over his own life. It doesn't say his spirit was taken from him. What does it say? He gave it up. Okay? He gave it up. No one took his life. He voluntarily did it. He voluntarily gave up his own life of his own will. Someone's going to say something? Yes, I was... Supposed to okay, you go first. <laughs> okay. Um, in reference to the roses, mm -hmm. I, have, I have some roses just like them. When mm -hmm. I look at them, I said, I need to throw these away. But for some reason, I didn't. <laughs> and my, I saw what I did. I put them in some water, mm -hmm. and they were there like for four months. And to my surprise, roses had sneezed on them. They said turn back. <laughs> and I saw the grain, the mm -hmm. grain is there. It's almost at where the rose is to the top. Mm -hmm. So they're coming back. They're coming back. Okay. That's a good, that's a good illustration. That's a very good illustration. Well, uh, Apparently saying that uh, you must remember that Jesus was born of a woman. But basically, uh, he was from above. He only gave up the earthly part in order to become the celestial body of the new heaven. Mm -hmm. But also, we go back a little further. If you study the, that part of the scriptures, you find that in the life of Jesus, the ending of his life, he used animals, he used the sheep, he was led, sport by the sheep. Mm -hmm. He also used the most dumbest animal on earth, the donkey. He rode on a donkey. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is because that shows that he was, he wanted not to be ridden on a horse, to show authority, but to be a humble person. Right, because kings ride on what? What do kings ride on? Right. Stallions. The best kind of... Uh, yeah, Arabian stallions. Right. Jesus chose to ride on the donkey. Therefore, uh, shows humility. It demonstrated his humility. Right. Exactly. So that is a part of, of this life to show that he himself did not choose the upper class 
the lowest of the low, exactly. Right, that's the whole essence of this whole society. And that's why the Jews never accepted him. Right, he was too low. Yeah. They wanted someone that, that parallels Roman power and authority. Right. Okay? Right. Okay, let's look at the, uh, uh, the passages on page 53 of your study guide. Someone read that, please. Uh, when I experience an allergic reaction, read that, please. Diametrically opposed. God and sin cannot hide out together. Furthermore, since sin is a part of who we are, that means God will not hide out with us. Yet there's still hope. God, out of His grace, love created a way for you and me. In spite of our sin, to enter His presence, that way is true to us. That way has been made possible through Jesus, the sinless sacrifice who bore our sins. When Jesus hung on the cross, all of the sins of the seven billion people alive today, as well as those of the billions who came before us, fell upon him. All the sins of actions and attitudes of countless billions of people forsaken by his father, his beloved. Look at question 4 on page 53. What emotions have you experienced while discussing Jesus' death? As we look at the passage that describes what Jesus went through, what emotions have you experienced? What came across your mind? What emotions were stirred up within you as we looked at those passages uh, today, those verses today? What great love do we have what great love. I've experienced that when I gave my kidney to my brother. Mm -hmm. That was the time when people would come to me. You're going to do that. 
and you know they try everything to don't do that. To discourage you. Like here, and I, I, I really, I, I really love my brother, and I was, I didn't want to hear anything. At that time, I used to go to Mother Sarai. She herself, you know, tried to tell me why do that. I, I, I didn't want to hear anything from her. And after she see, I was terrified <laughs> in giving my brother that kidney. She began to pray, and everyone would say anything about it. She said, "Let's pray for Brenda," but that is love. I love, yeah, yeah. He really loves us. Mm -hmm. I pray that he would catch, realize how much God loves us. Mm -hmm. God loves us. Truly loves us. Amen. Anybody who would do what he did. Yes. That's the ultimate yes. demonstration yes. of love. Yes. Okay, look, look at uh, verse 54, uh, the last verse. Uh, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they were terrified and said, this man really was God's son. Look at the paragraph on page 54 of your study guide. And I'm going to read it uh, real quick because our time is going here. I used to go to Bob in Dallas who had a sign in his window that read, In God we trust. Everyone else pays cash. It was his shop. So he could make his rules. In a similar way, our world is God's shop, his kingdom. He makes the rules. And he requires payment through only one source, the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. This is the only way to satisfy his holy demand to pay for sin. The earth itself revolted when the Son of God hung there to die. Why? Because Jesus had formed and shaped the earth, as the Bible tells us. Therefore, the earth he created protested over what he went through. Those who stayed with, with Jesus while young on the cross that day became frightened by the earth's response. Who wouldn't? have responded in that way if a storm had occurred. If you've ever seen the blue sky turn green just before a fierce winds of a tornado pass through, if you've ever watched the wall hangings first shake and then fall as the ground moves beneath you in the earthquake, you know the fear that can rise up. At times like these, people get real religious, real fast. Ever had turbulence on a plane? Yeah. Remember how, how, how many times people call Jesus' name? Yeah. At those times, we come, to face, we come face to face with our own humanity and the gruesome power of God's hand. And we wake up and realize just whose world we live in. Whose world, in whose world we live. The centurion in this passage are just such an experience. So did the gods keeping watch. The experience at the death of Jesus led to only one response. This man had to be God's son. If you were there, you would probably say the same thing. Boy, this fellow's got to be Jesus' son. This fellow's got to be the son of God. This Jesus, he's got to be God's son. And so the centurion who was there uh, had a response. It had an impact on him. Down to the, uh, let's recap. 
uh, page 54, the final two paragraphs on page 54 in your study guide. Have someone read that, please. Those who stay reduce the value time on the course, guided, and change striking by the urgency response. Who wouldn't have? If you've ever been in a if you've ever been in a storm, if you've ever seen the deep sky turning green, just before the first winds of the tornado pass through, if you've ever watched one hanging face shake, and then fall as the ground moves beneath you in an earthquake. You know the fear that can rise up. At times like these, people get real religious, real facts, and those times. We come face to face with our own humanity and the awesome power of God's hand. And we wake up and realize in just whose world we live. The centurion in this passage had just such an experience. So did the guys keep watching. Their experience at the death of Jesus led them to only one response. This man truly was God's son. Okay, so the centurion was impacted by what he saw. Question number five. When you when in your own life did you encounter the truth that Jesus is the son as God's son? Did you have an experience where you first encountered that Jesus is really God's son? Anybody? I did. I visited um, my daughter in um, Canada and we took Albert and I to see the ice field and it was miles and miles and nothing but ice. And something came over me and I said, I know some superior didn't have to do this market. And from that day, I was very Amen. Amen. And many of us have experiences like that. Uh, for me, when I studied first time what Jesus actually went through on the cross, and it was just overwhelming. Yeah. So back to the point, Jesus' death is the heart of the gospel. As we close. Now we have some points there on the on page 55 where it says live it out. And that's something that you can do on your own as you live out the lesson itself. First, confess, show gratitude, and invite others. Three actions that we can take. And, uh, and as we wrap it up, we want to be mindful that we are all sinners born with a sin nature. All of us. But thanks be to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is available. Forgiveness has been paid for. And forgiveness is for you and for me.